Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everyone, hello. Guess what? It's me, Chris, and you're tuned in to Indie Beat. And if you haven't tuned in before, guess what we do? Well, we talk to indie filmmakers, okay? So if you like that, you're in the right place. Today, I have with me close friend filmmaker Paul Taylor. Hi, Paul. Hey, man. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm all right, man. It's early. It's pretty early, man, but listen, you've been keeping it real, I bet, huh? I'm always keeping it real, straight real. That's true. Okay. Well, people, Paul, I've known for many, many years. He's shot many of my movies, and last year, correct? Uh, yeah. Last year, you did a movie called Driftwood. It was your feature film, your first feature film, and it played Slam Dance and went on to win Slam Dance, and it went on to play numerous other festivals and win other awards. And, um, damn, son, you know? Yeah, we, we won Slam Dance. We won the entire festival. <laughs> like, I, I now own it, and I can do with it what I want. Well, what, are do, what are you going to do, man? What do they say? As they said, they said, you won. You get to keep it. Are you clapping? I Am I clapping? No, I'm drinking coffee. I just, uh, the flap, you know, the flap you open or close to drink the coffee from the cup. Oh. I just tore it off by accident. <laughs> so. uh, I don't know my own strength. No, very strong these days. Yeah. Um. So, like, I know a lot of stuff, so this is going to be a little weird, but I'm going to try to pretend like I don't, so I ask better questions. Um. But let's start off, like, why don't you tell me and us how you got into film? Like, when did you first fall in love with the medium like what was it a movie you saw and stuff like that and how did you go from there to ultimately study film well i wouldn't say that i'm in love with the medium i don't know if i really love anything uh i i first started i started i, I used to skateboard a lot as a kid you know between like seventh and eighth grade and then uh i got my first video camera for my eighth grade graduation and after that, I just started filming everything, uh, all all kinds of skateboarding and really shitty comedy sketches. And I would, you know, like film my family eating at the dinner table until they would get pissed off. And uh, I just kept doing stuff like that. And then eventually I went to film school and I was introduced to good movies. And I stopped watching Dude, Where's My Car? And uh, started watching Godard and Wong Kar Wai and filmmakers that really showed me that the uh the medium has a lot more to offer than just stoner jokes and you know toilet humor and uh that's why i am where i am today would you ever use like that old footage in something else 
I don't know, man. I've I've thought I've thought about that. I've uh, every now and then I go through it. I uh, I'm, I'm teaching a class in the next couple of weeks, and I was thinking about showing them one of my old sketches. I did this this uh, this very quick short called Revenge of the Pedestrian, and it's it's my friends and I were sitting in my basement and we're like watching TV, and I guess like on the TV somebody gets hit by a car, and we're like, oh man, did you see that person get hit? And then we refer to this time that we hit somebody with a car, and we, like, start laughing about it. And then the guy that we hit with the car bursts in with a plastic gun, and he shoots us, and he chops my legs off with a knife. And we do this, you know, this really shitty editing technique where, you know, we see, like, the knife go down, and then it cuts to a close-up of, like, my legs on the floor covered in blood. Uh, And then I'm just, like, screaming at the top of my lungs until, like, he slits my throat, and then, you know, it ends. But you know, it's so like I have I have a lot of stuff like that, and I thought about showing it to a, like showing it to students or using it somehow. But ultimately, I think it's just a little too embarrassing. I get like I get like goosebumps when I watch it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's it's too much. Yeah, but, yeah, I think so. I think so. What um, but like, is your is your idea of showing them being like, hey, look, I did like stupid stuff? Yeah, yeah. I think the idea is to just uh, show them like the progression of like how I. Um, you know, learn to make films, or, like, where I started out, and then, uh, so I was going to show them, like, something like that, and then go through all of my, um, you know, my, uh, the, the shorts that I made in, in college, so I started with, like, my basic filmmaking stuff, and then work up to my thesis, and I was actually going to talk to you about potentially showing some clips from, like, some of the shorts and features that I've shot for you, um, and just kind of, you know, work my way up the ladder, and just to show kind of, like, how you improve, or what changes, yeah, are, are you you're doing this at post? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, yeah. No, I, I think that's good because I feel like I guess it's hard to say at, at this point, but I, I guess like conceptually, it's like it's a little mysterious sometimes, like jumping from project to project because you can't. It's hard to quantify like the change. And I think it's important to kind of like see that. Like, I don't know how often you watch, you rewatch your old stuff, but you Not can see, often. yeah, you can see like that kind of change. And I think for someone who's not, who doesn't have that in front of them, who's not able to do that, it's hard to kind of figure out that like, yeah, the more you do it, the more you grow. Like you do, if you keep at it, you do get better and you do like kind of start to make sense of things. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it takes, it takes like time. It takes years to really be able to be at that point where you can go back and uh, you know look at your stuff and compare it to like some of the older stuff, uh, films you've made and some of the newer films. It's like for me, I I'm at the point where I can do that, and these students, I'm sure, are not. So like, if I was a freshman student, I think I would I would like to see something like that to to see that there is like the possibility of improving or to know that you can make shitty films when you're young because you're just starting out. I guess the the problem, and I was thinking about this earlier, is that like when we went to school, um, I don't know how much it was because you were two years before me, uh-huh. and my year we were doing like a ton of shit in the dorms. We were just shooting in the dorms, and you can't do anything with that. You know, it's it's terrible. I mean, I'm sure right. you could. No, you re- you really can't. You really can't. And that's something that I've always emphasized when talking with students too is that if you're going to make anything you have to get out of your campus and you can't 
you know, and maybe you can use like your friends and uh, students for like the, the first couple, but like after that, like in order to grow, you have to push yourself a little bit. And you know, like there's this, there's something about watching a short that takes place on campus. As soon as it starts, like you know what the location is, and like it automatically, at least for me, would take me out of the film. Like if somebody at school showed me their short and it took place in, you know, uh, like a classroom or something, like oh, like it's at post, and like the illusion, like the dream of like, of of film is just like, just dissolves instantly. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's but there's a thing of like using what you got. And, um, you know, like we could write something in using a classroom and it would be like much more difficult for us to get that rather than back then where, you know, it was readily available. We could walk like a couple minutes and and be there. But yeah, there's also the thing of just like, there is laziness to it and it's like assignment, like I got to get this done. And, um, you know, and I'm not saying I didn't do it. Like, of course I shot on campus, like for school projects and stuff, but I wish I didn't. Because it's like I didn't think enough into it to be like, how do I make this like a film using what I have and make it like interesting or whatever? It just seemed like there there wasn't that. There was too much of like getting the work done and and having like I guess I had fun when I did it, but there was none of that. Just like thinking about it, like it was very much like when I was thinking about it, I wasn't thinking about it as it of it like being a film i was thinking about it as it being like a grade yeah i mean that's something that um you kind of just have to like overlook i mean obviously if you're in film school and you really want to you're really passionate about making films and that's what you want to do then it shouldn't be an assignment i mean sometimes it does feel like that because maybe you don't have enough time or like maybe your professor really sucks and you just don't give a shit um, and I, you know, I've had assignments where I didn't really care that much. I just wanted to get it done. It's like, I'm guilty of it too. But after a while, I don't know. I was just like, I, I just became bored. Like I exhausted all of the options on campus and I wanted to try something else. Did you know that there was like a Hugh Grant movie that shot at, on campus? No, I have no idea. It's probably really good though. <laughs> um, you should at least, I mean, I, I've, I've seen the trailer. I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the trailer, but it's really weird. Uh, What's you know? it called? I don't remember. I'll look it up. I'll send it to you. Um, it's Maybe like probably every single one of his movies was filmed at post. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's it's weird because, you know, obviously we just talked about like watching stuff, um, you know, shot on campus and it's so close to us that it's like, you know, you get like shivers and disgust and being like, oh, God, I can't think of anything else but this campus. So watching this like, you know. It does seem like a little low budget, but it's definitely, you know, a couple million, um, like, on the lower sure. end of that. Uh, it's it's still just, like, gross to see, like, them running around the campus and just to be like, oh, it looks so cheap because that's what yeah. we used to do. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm sure most of their budget went towards hiring Hugh Grant and his, his beautiful blue eyes. It's like they didn't really have much money for anything else after that. Yo, man, you gotta you gotta pay the guy. You know, you, you gotta, gotta you gotta pay one, the guy. One mil for each eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, you know, dude, where's my car? Is good though. It is no, it actually it, it really is. But like at that time, that's all I was watching. Like I would watch that movie over and over. I had I had a really shitty desk chair, this, this like red leather chair, and uh, I used to just like I used to write stuff on it. I don't know why, and 
You, you remember that the the word they would say over and over in that movie, shibby? I used to like write it on the chair. I don't know why. <laughs> I think I probably just like once or twice, but I, I I distinctly remember having that on the chair, and I don't know why I would do something like that. It seems so. Like I just I wrote it on a chair. Like why? You know. Have you gone back to to watch like stuff like that that you used to do like as a teenager? Have you like revisited anything? Oh yeah, uh, I'm gonna close this door. Hold on, I may make some noise, so I apologize. Um. I actually watched Dude Where's My Car recently. I would say within the past like few months. And there's there's still a lot of really funny shit in that movie, but it also uh I don't know, there's also a few things that I found very questionable and, and sexist. Um but you know, it was made fifteen, twenty years ago, I guess, so pre woke, yeah. Um But yeah, every every now and then I'll 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 go back. But you know, most of the time too, like I just I don't have the time for that kind of nonsense. There's like so many like good films that I want to watch that I don't want to spend an hour and a half, two hours watching, you know, scary, scary movie two or whatever, which I also used to watch religiously. No, I think it's. I think I I like it and I don't. I'm more. I'm on your level. It is interesting though, where I have to like I'll have I'll watch something and it's really great, and then I feel like a couple years later. I just hear how bad it is. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Like, I love that movie. I thought that was great. And it seems like every couple of years I have to revisit everything I had watched those years before to, like, reassess it to be like, oh, no, actually, this isn't good. With, with bad movies? No, no. Like, with, um, with, like, good stuff. Yeah, you know, like, uh, even, like, the popular stuff that we, like, kind of came up with, like... Uh, like the hits, like Donnie Darko or something like that. Oh, sure, sure, I was like, sure, oh, man, yeah. I remember loving that movie. And then you, like... That movie must suck. It's weird. I watched it, like, two years ago, and um, it's fine. It's just, like, I don't remember. It. It's very, um... What a... It seems for... kind of twee, right? Is that the right word? It, no, it yeah, no. I don't think it's... It's not, like, Garden state E in right, that right, sense. Right, yeah. Um I think some of it still hits, like uh, him riding the bike to Echo and the Bunny Men. That's still cool. Um, oh, no, it's I don't very. That at all. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's the opening. It was really good. Um, no, it's like more mannered than I remember it, in like the dialogue and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it's like feels very writerly or whatever. Um, yeah, there is that weird feeling of having to be like, oh, I loved this movie, and now like I revisit it, and it's like, oh no, it's a piece of shit. And it's like, well, what the fuck was I thinking? But it is like. <sighs> Revisiting those comedies too. I was revisiting um, the fuck Sixteen Candles, and uh, I've never seen that. Oh yeah, it was like, <laughs> yeah. There's stuff in it that's like that's racist that I kind of knew about, and there's stuff that is racist that I didn't know about, and there's stuff that's like sexist, yeah. like, like. I feel I think he like rapes a girl in it, like more or less, and I'm like, what really? the fuck. Yeah, kind of. I mean, God, I is guess... It like a, is it supposed to be, like, a, a joke? They kind of, like, take advantage of this woman who's, like, wasted. And uh, it's, like, fine. Yeah, it's not, like, a, a a thing at all. It's just regular. And I'm, like... I'd seen the movie, like, 20, 30 times, and it just hit me now. I'm, like, that's so fucked up. And we're all, like, growing yeah. up with this movie and stuff. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, revisit... Revisit all your faves. Um, uh, I won't even bother. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. So away from that, you were you were going to teach at CW Post. That's where we both went to school. Um, what did you? How was the program for you? What was it like? You mean when I was attending? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't say it was bad because I, I, I like who I am now for the most part. Uh, and I, I think I, I learned quite a bit. And, you know, we've met and there's still people that we work with that we met at school. And that's, like, really important. Um, but, you know, the, the class was very small and it's very intimate, which meant it was more hands-on than, than most film schools. Um, and, you know, we had some, we had some pretty good professors, people that like really opened my mind up to like what filmmaking can be and showed me all kinds of like really amazing movies that are still like some of the some of my favorites even today after you know almost 10 years um you know that being said I don't think many people take film school seriously at least you know in in my class <clears throat> there was a lot of people that um may have just liked watching movies or really enjoyed, you know, Batman movies, and I, I guess they wanted to spend, you know, all this money uh, per year on studying Batman, or I, I really don't know. Um, so that like that, I, I didn't quite understand. But there, there were a lot of students like that. But you know, like we met, and there were students, uh, or we made friends that that were like us, and that were really passionate about filmmaking. And you know, I I distinctly remember having a conversation with you after. I think it was after you graduated and I still had like another year and we both just spoke about how like we knew that uh you know we were essentially going to be struggling filmmakers for most of our lives probably um like we accepted the fact that like we were going to school for this and it was going to be difficult yeah I mean I pretty much have the same experience it's weird it didn't like um I mean now years after we're both uh paying back student loans or at least like yeah. we were like pretty recently paying back student loans and um loans, yeah. it's like i don't it's it's a weird thing to just be like after you graduate high school like it's a lot of pressure to figure out like what you want to do and cash in on that i mean not cash in but go all in and be like yep like here's like hundred thousand dollars plus to uh study this thing. So it was to me it was always weird. It's just like well, why aren't you taking this seriously or at least semi seriously? I mean, we screwed around in college, but I wanted to kind of I wanted to do the work and take the studies seriously. I never really understood why you would um major in something like that and just be like, yeah, it's just like Batman. Like just Batman. That's what I like. And I don't care about anything else. So, would you say uh in memoriam is the first thing you shot that you like aren't you know embarrassed by or like whatever that you're proud of you're like okay this is like the beginning of something no no i'm i'm very proud of um i'm very proud of of a lot of the stuff that i've done uh, in film school um i i did this i don't know if you ever saw it but i did that one short where the guy walks backwards the entire time yeah, yeah. yeah so like that was like you know, that was something that I um, I just kind of came up with on the spot. Like, I want to do something simple. So here's, like, a, a short about a guy who loses his wallet and he wants to find it. But instead of having him, you know, 
uh, retrace his steps in a figurative sense. I figured let's have him do it literally, so he like walks backwards. So like it's just, it's just a matter of like like I'm not proud of the way uh, like of the production quality because it's very like raw and very film schoolish. But at the same time, I'm proud of the fact that I managed to think outside of the box and to not um, do something generic. You know, it's like I, I did something where you would think it should be done this one way, but then you do the opposite. And, like, that's what makes it different, and that's what makes it stand out. And I don't, you know, I don't really see many of that, uh, much of that kind of filmmaking when, um, at least in my class. I mean, obviously there were certain people, like, you know, I mean, I saw your stuff, you were doing different things, and other people that we know. But, you know, they were like, I saw one short called Blunt, and it's, it's like four or five people sitting in a circle just smoking a blunt, and the cameraman... Uh, at some point, somebody passes the blunt to the cameraman, and he smokes it, and it's just like smoke in front of like the lens. Like you know, that's that's not a short. That's just like I, I don't I don't know what that would be. Frankly, uh, maybe like uh, some. Yeah, I'm not really sure. <laughs> but that was definitely one of the shorts that that stood out for me, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I kind of I didn't forget about the Walking Backwards movie. Did it have a title? What was the title? <laughs> It did. It, I called it retrograde, which it's, it's not a very good title. But I was again, I was just I was kind of uh, just like grasping for straws and just trying to come up with something different. Um, but you know, I didn't like submit it to festivals or anything, so it was just like something for me to have on my own. No, I remember. Um, I thought you and Alex did really interesting stuff because for a while we couldn't, um, or like for a year or two, we couldn't. We weren't like you had to do films without sound, and um, I thought you guys both did really interesting things without sound. Whereas, like myself and everybody that was in my class at the time, we kind of just did obvious stuff where it's like I don't know how to not use dialogue, so I'm going to like fake it or use like title cards. And you guys didn't do that. And the one you just mentioned was like a really cool way to kind of to hit those requirements and have it still be like interesting and, and quiet. And, um, I guess you shot that like pretty early on and I can, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I can kind of like hopscotch to driftwood from that movie. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I, when I, when I look back on some of this stuff, a lot of my films actually don't have dialogue. I mean, the the three that I'm proud of that I did at Post, none of them had dialogue. Yeah. I think my my thesis had. Um, there were a few moments where the main actor, you know, was mouthing some words, but um, for the most part, it was still constructed in a way where there didn't need to be any dialogue. And I don't know if that was a conscious choice or if I am just more of a visual person. You know. Um, I, I grew up watching a lot of movies that had like really great dialogue. Like I used to love Richard Linklater, and I still do. I think he's he's like a pretty fascinating filmmaker, and I, his like dialogue is so good and it's so natural. And even like you know guys like Tarantino, like his dialogue is also really good. And I used to really admire um, that kind of writing, but I could never do it myself. I would try to, and I just felt very forced or very unnatural. Um, so like I, yeah, I mean maybe I just. Uh, I, I just, like, unconsciously know my strengths and my weaknesses, and I work that way. Yeah, you did that, and then you did, um, I just remembered Seaworthy. That's, an, that's another one where, so I forgot what my original film was, but 
and I forgot what the purpose of that class was, but I had shot a short before I did Seaworthy, and I hated it. It was just so stupid. I think I put my dad in it, and he was just terrible. Um, so I, I just wound up like, I had like one last roll of film, and I went down to the beach, and I found uh, like this like broken toy boat just like sitting in the water, and I made like a little short that revolved around that. But that was something that like it took me, you know, a couple hours to do, and like I really, and I I think it's like a pretty solid piece of like film school filmmaking. Um, but it, again, it was something that was like felt very sp- spontaneous and in the moment, and that's what I really love about filmmaking too is that it can be like that. It's not like writing or painting where like it's not spontaneous. Most of it's very calculated, you know. Uh, so yeah, that was seaworthy. And then afterwards, you you did uh, your thesis was um, in memoriam. In memoriam, yeah. And then you did the short in co- you did the short cohesion. Yeah. Um. Both pretty much silent as well. Uh, in, yeah, in memoriam, no dialogue whatsoever. Again, there's a couple moments where he's like mouthing words, but you, know, you don't really miss it. Um, cohesion, there was some dialogue. But that, that was, like, the first time I really was trying to experiment with dialogue and, and use it within my film. And it's not bad, but it, it definitely feels um, a little unnatural and, and cold in a way that doesn't particularly work for me. Um, although, as a whole, I, I don't think it's bad. But it's certainly not, um, you know, something I'm terribly proud of. That was weird. The stuff we made, like right out of college was really weird to me because I feel like if I look back or if I look into that time, I feel like we missed, we, there was something that like we were, we, I I feel like we didn't know how to make movies. And then the more like critic stuff I did, the more like I peered into like what was going on, like in Brooklyn, it was like everybody was making features. And then I feel like we missed that boat where it was like, um, people were making features and you know look a lot of that stuff isn't very good but it was getting into like really great festivals and i feel like they were open for a time and now like it's it's not really like that anymore uh, but i remember yeah. it being like really it was hard to kind of like think of how to do a film after college and it was like a really weird struggle wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think for a while, um, you know, you're, you're so, um, yeah, I mean, you're removed from this institution that was essentially pushing you to make films. Like, now you're out on your own and you have to push yourself, which is why it was very hard for me when I was still living at home in my parents' basement to, like, get out and, and make films because most of my friends were living either in New Jersey or, you know, in Manhattan or Brooklyn so like I wasn't doing much. Uh, I think I made cohesion when I was still living out by my parents, and I, I remember that being quite a struggle just to get that off the ground. But that's why it was super important that, you know, I moved closer to where we can all hang out, we can talk more and shoot more and um, just encourage one another. Um, it's like in that sense I found it to be difficult, but I don't know, I, I think once I... I don't know, it's just, it, it was really just a matter of coming up with like a, a group of people that you can work with and hang out with and support one another, and that really made things easier. Um, 
but I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily remember being too difficult. I, I think it was just like a a learning process or just getting used to being out on your own. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really. It took me a while because I was writing like other features, and I was like, I don't know how to do this. I I have no idea. And then I would write shorts, and like a short was more seemed more manageable. You know, I would be able to get it off the ground, but still it was just like, well, we don't have school. I don't know what to do. And this was before, um, this was before we started shooting DSLR. So, you know, we were, we were like right before that. And, um, it was before I had even like thought to, you know, we only had access to either to like consumer HD cams or consumer cams. And it was before I would even know to think of like, okay, this isn't, like, top quality, but how can I use that quality in an interesting way? It just seemed hard to, like, wrap my head around shooting something where, like, the equipment room wasn't right there. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, go ahead and finish. No, no, like, maybe... I don't know when DSLRs started happening. Was I guess it was, like, a year after you graduated. Yeah, yeah. So then it was, like, I understood it more. But by then, like, all the cool kids were, like, doing features. And, yeah, know, but fuck all those guys. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we, we missed the boat on that because. Yeah, but but fuck all those guys. I mean, I'm I'm glad we we missed the boat on that because, uh, the that that kind of group, they're making very specific kinds of films, and they're all, um, uh, pretty homogenous. I think that's the right word. You know, like they're all very similar in in certain ways, whereas, uh, you know, we are kind of doing our own thing and we're trying to push the the boundaries and the limits of cinema where those films feel very safe in some ways. So, you know, yeah, like they may be uh, more hip and cool and like getting a lot of attention, but I don't know, kind of shit doesn't even matter anymore. Like I'm not in high school, so I don't really care. I'm just like, we just keep doing what we love and we obviously have found an audience for that and that's what's really important. Um, but going back to what you were saying about uh, coming out of film school, what, what I think was also difficult is that when you're in film school, at least the one we went to, you're not taught how to make a feature. It's all about shorts. So when you get out of college, like, it's, how, how do you go about raising money or like structuring a feature film? Like, we just know how to, we were taught how to write features, but we never were taught how to produce them, which, you know, we had to figure out on our own. Whereas like some film schools, like, you know, you go to NYU, like I, I think they, they may encourage you to make a, a feature, at least for grad school. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so I, I, I never was able to wrap my head around making a feature right after college. You know, when we made yours, the Winsett Scatter, you know, in retrospect, would we have filmed it once a week for, you know, a year straight? No, like we would have, like now we know like how to do it properly. You know, you do it like all at once if possible. But like that's like we we were still learning, and like that's the thing is like once you come out of film school, like the journey is not over. Like you're continuously learning, and continuously struggling to figure out how this shit works. Yeah, yeah, that was a really long school. Yeah, and, and we're still we're still learning. I mean, even like the films that we've made now, like they're it's a learning process. We're investing in it. It's like I'm I'm still losing money while paying off stu- student loans, but you know, it's it's worth it. I guess. I mean, maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out too late. Yeah. It wasn't worth it. Um, so why don't we talk Driftwood? Can you uh, tell 
everyone what it's about, like a little short synopsis, and um, after that, tell us why you wanted to do this particular story. Driftwood is about this woman who washes ashore, and a stranger picks her up, and he brings her to his home in the middle of nowhere and uh, essentially tries to domesticate her, and over time she rebels. Um, and, you know, I I had bits and pieces of the idea in my head over time, and then as I started writing, they evolved, and... Um, you know, I was I was left with what Driftwood is now, but I I never went into it thinking like, oh yeah, I'm gonna make a a feature with no dialogue or, um, you know, it it kind of it kind of just came as I was writing and as the film was even being made. You know, originally there were a couple lines of dialogue, and then as we were shooting, you know. The, the 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 lines were so minimal that it didn't seem uh, appropriate to even keep them within the film. You know, it's like I wasn't going to make like a 75-minute feature and there's like a line or two of dialogue. Like, what's the fucking point? You know, so you just, you strip it, you find a way to do it without words. And frankly, there's there's always a way to tell a story visually without words. You just have to know how to use the camera and how, like which angles to choose. Um to express like a certain feeling or you know uh like just eye contact and body language is super important too um so yeah i'm I'm rambling here but uh you know that's essentially what happened i also you know at the time you know there were a lot of movies being made um of just like kids in brooklyn like making movies in their apartment just like you know white kids talking about white problems and how hard it is to like be rich and live in park slope or whatever uh, so, you know, I, I wasn't like consciously thinking of that, but I think I was, um, so like unconsciously informed as to like how this is like, like, this is what like good independent filmmaking is that like, I just naturally rebelled and, uh, wanted to make something that I would want to see. And, you know, generally whenever a director makes something, it's always a film that he or she wants to see. Um, but I knew that if I wanted to see something refreshing and without dialogue and something different, that I'm sure there would be like, you know, uh, at the very least one or two other people that would want to see it as well. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> a lot of people really responded uh, better to Driftwood than I thought they would. Like I, I figured people would be very bored um, and they would miss dialogue and, you know, um, but a, a lot of people did find it quite refreshing and, they they appreciated seeing something different. So, you know, that that felt good. Well, like, what is your process when writing um, these things with no dialogue? Like, because I know you've written stuff with dialogue, and is it personally, so, f- for me, like, writing dialogue is like, when I, when I read drafts back, it's just like, oh, this dialogue, like, a lot of it is terrible, or like, I don't need it. And I realize that, like, it kind of propels me forward. But... I don't know if you're the same, but does that make it more difficult when you don't have dialogue to write? I usually don't start out like I like I, I never go into a script saying, "Okay, I'm going to do this with that with as little dialogue as possible." If the dialogue is necessary or I feel like it has some some purpose, then I will add it. Most of the time, when I'm writing, I will write a lot. 
I'll even write with dialogue. I, originally, there was some, um, there was even more dialogue in Driftwood, and then as you go back and you keep working on those drafts, like I strip out everything that, that's unnecessary. So I keep it. I, I, the only thing that I want in my script is what's absolutely necessary. Everything else is superfluous and you know can be taken out. Um, so I mean, it really depends like on the script. Um, but you know, like for something like dialogue, there was some. Uh, like Driftwood, there was some dialogue, and then as I worked on each draft, I would, I would strip it and find ways to do it without it. Because ultimately, filmmaking is a visual medium. If you can't, like, I don't know who said it, but that somebody said something like, if you can't watch a film uh, with the volume off and, like, have an idea of what's going on, then it's not really much of a film. Yeah, I'm pretty you know? sure the, who said that is your boy Spielberg. Really? <laughs> he said something like that. It's the only, it's the only good thing he's ever said. Hey, but you know it's. I, I think there there is some truth to that, and like that, I guess that's kind of just like ingrained in my head. And again, not not every film has to be that way. Like again, we've spoken. Uh, I mentioned Linklater, whose films are mostly dialogue, if not just entirely dialogue, and that's a certain kind of film, and it works. Or something like Yorgos Lanthimos, who uses dialogue in this really funny and, uh, you know, um, uh, this really funny and, what's the word I'm looking for here? Almost like uncomfortable way. And even like the way like the dialogue is delivered is just, it's not normal. And like that is, that's serving a purpose, you know? But like people that are just like talking about random bullshit and they're delivering it just like the way that we're speaking. Uh, Again, I just think about these like apartment movies. Uh, For me, it just... There's, there's nothing there. There's no substance. Um, so, yeah. I think people just like to hear themselves talk. You know, so they, they just... They write all this, like, dialogue, and it's just not very good. And what was it like um, going to festivals with Driftwood in it? Like, how weird was that to be like, <laughs> here's this movie I did with these other movies that are not like it you know like how was that was that like surreal at all because it kind of stuck out no i mean i think it depends on the festival that i went to like you know when we premiered at slam dance it felt very um appropriate to be at slam dance because a lot of their films were um you know like thought-provoking or different uh, just like operated on uh, like a completely different level than like most like festival movies so like there it felt at home but then, you know, uh, yeah, we we traveled to other festivals where there were, like, you know, quirky, like, sundance types of films being played there. But, like, I don't know, I, I never really thought about it too much because I was so focused on just, like, screening my film. And I, I think that any good festival will have all kinds of films anyway. So, like, it, I don't know, it just doesn't, it didn't feel strange to me in that way. Um, because like any festival that the film actually got accepted into, um, they were playing all kinds of movies. It wasn't like, like I would say if like Driftwood was screening at like Sundance, that would be kind of strange because it would feel, it would definitely feel out of place. But obviously whoever liked Driftwood enough to put it in their festival, um, has, uh, you know, a different way of looking at festivals where like they're playing all kinds of stuff. Like they're, they're celebrating the art of filmmaking, which is what a festival should be. They should play all kinds of stuff. So having done that, like, what would your assessment be of the indie scene right now? You know, I don't know. That's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of a loaded question because the indie scene 
there, there really isn't like much of an indie scene any longer. Like the independent scene has been taken over by corporate sponsors and a lot of these like smaller studios that aren't very small. Like when I say small studios, I'm thinking like, you know, they're making movies for 500,000 to a million. Like that's the independent scene now. Um, and so, I mean, I guess if I was to make a comment on the actual independent scene, it would be kind of like what we're doing, like very, very small scale, like no budget kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of good films being made out there. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know, it's really hard to say. I don't like, I've kind of removed myself from all of that just so I can concentrate on my own work. So I don't even know like what's out anymore. Honestly, I probably shouldn't even respond to this question. As a matter of fact, you should, you should just cut out everything I said because I don't, I, I don't, I really don't know enough. I know that there's a lot of, I know, I know that there are good films being made, but I think there's a lot more shit being made. And I shouldn't even say shit. Maybe that's too strong of a word. But there's a lot of movies out there like that just aren't using cinema or like the the medium to really explore like what's happening in today's world. Or uh, I mean, like we're we're shooting. It's all digital now for the most part. Like, it, filmmakers become so democratized that anybody can do it. So, therefore, we should be experimenting even more. But we're not. Like, there's still films being made that are very safe, that are, like, being made um, with, like, a normal three-act structure. And, like, that's bullshit. Because, like, this is the time to be experimenting. Like, we have the tools. But people want to get into festivals, and they want to make a career out of it. So... They, they play it safe. But I'm sure people like Godard or, you know, any of his contemporaries would have loved having, um, you know, digital at their fingertips just because they can go out and shoot as much as they want and it would be free. Like, maybe they wouldn't, they wouldn't like, obviously, like, the look and the feel of digital and, you know, frankly, I, I don't really either. But the fact that you can go out and just try anything and not have to worry about like losing a producer's money or like going broke is super important and you know again I don't I don't see anybody really not I don't see many people doing that especially at some of the bigger festivals you really don't yeah yeah I mean I just feel like what's the point <laughs> like why are you you know there's something to be said about something like uh, what's, the po- what's the point of what no like there's something to be said for for making something that's like comforting and pleasurable, and I don't want to like discount that. But to me, it's like why would I work on something that I didn't feel was like, you know, uh, at least in my mind, experimental or adventurous or something like that? Because it's so much work and it's so much time, and we have we have jobs, you know, we we got to like pay bills, and it's right. kind of like why would I? I, for for the f- most part, like, I feel like the people that we know or, like, the stuff we know, I feel like nobody makes money anyway doing this stuff. So it's like, well, why wouldn't I try to do something that I find interesting? Yeah, I mean, I, get, I think that it just it varies from personality to personality. Like, we're, we're more inclined to do something experimental because, you know, we're, we're very passionate about it. And we understand that we're not going to be successful in that sense. So we don't even really try. Whereas, you know, some people... I, I don't know. I really think like the festival scene has changed filmmaking. Uh, I don't want to say for the worse because 
you know, I've benefited a lot from going to festivals, and I've, I've met a lot of great people, and <clears throat> it's been a lot of fun, but I think, like, the culture that surrounds something like Sundance or South By or, you know, Telluride, it's, it's these big, like, galas where you go and hang out with celebrities, and you can sell your movie for, like, you know, a million, two million, and then your career, like, skyrockets, and, you know, so I, I think a lot of people are still thinking that way, um, and that kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it kind of informs people's views on, on what independent film can and should be, you know, um, and I don't, I don't know if that's right or wrong, it's just kind of what I see and what I've experienced, you know, especially, like, going to Park City for slam dance and, uh, hanging out in that scene for, a week straight, you you talk to people and you get this sense that uh, <clears throat> people are there just to party, especially over at Sundance. I mean, we met people that aren't even filmmakers, but they go to Park City every year just for Sundance, just so they can like go hang out with celebrities and feel like they're part of uh, you know this really uh, glamorous like group of people, you know. And there's something there's something really weird and fucked up about that. Because that's like what Hollywood is, but now like that Hollywood lifestyle has trickled down into, you know, the quote unquote independent scene. I mean, even like on the small scale, like, and we've talked about this before. Um, there are people who are just like, uh, so the term is like star fuckers, you know, yeah. just like so obsessed. I, I love I love that word. So great, <laughs> um, so nasty. Yeah. <laughs> There's um. But there's people that do that to just like uh, filmmakers who are living in Brooklyn who happen to have like a cool movie. Um, you know, we've known we've known people that do that, and it's always like really frustrating. What I'm curious about is like, what was it like for you when we first started to um, travel to film festivals? Like, what was your con- Conception of like what it would be like and what was the reality <clears throat> traveling with um like bridges was the first time pretty much we started like traveling with them so i'm talking more about that yeah yeah i was gonna say because prior to that like i went to like festivals with my thesis but these are very very local small festivals but like once we started traveling with, when we traveled with bridges I, I don't think i really had anything in mind you know i didn't i didn't I, I didn't. I, I don't recall like ever doing any kind of research on these festivals or like looking at what they were screening. I just we kind of just like went and we did it and you know we had fun. Um, so I never had any preconceived notions as what a festival should be. Um, but once we started traveling and we we went to a few. I mean it was just it was just a lot of fun. I mean for me it was I just like going to festivals to meet like-minded people who uh, appreciate film the same way I do. And who want to like make good stuff and and push the limits of filmmaking and you know <clears throat> uh, I've gotten to a point now where uh, I'm kind of sick of the partying that accompanies a film festival. It's kind of exhausting, and you know I'm getting older. Like I get hungover very easily, and you know the the, the following day is completely ruined. Uh, and you, you, you don't want to get out of bed. You can't concentrate on a movie you're watching, and it's just like it's not fair to the filmmakers. You know, like when I was playing Driftwood at a certain festival, which I will not name, they encouraged partying like way too much, to the point where there were people that I met that were like, 
yeah, yeah, we were gonna come see your movie, but we were just like, we were just like so drunk, man. We were just like so hungover. It's like, what the what the fuck are you doing here? You know, like we're here to like watch films and like, okay, well, whatever. Like the screening still went really well, but you're telling me that you did not come see a movie that's never gonna get the actual distribution. Like this is your only time to see it in a theater. You didn't come to see it because like you got wasted off of like you know uh, some like shitty cocktail or something. You know, you're just like drinking way too much and like that. I think it's great to encourage partying and and having fun and uh, like networking, but not to the point where it's affecting the people coming to see the films. I, I mean, I just I find that to be incredibly frustrating. Um, <clears throat> I didn't realize like how like how much like partying was going to be like uh, you know promoted. That's, that's just, like all it is. Yeah. I didn't realize that, and it's like, yeah, it is fun, and it is, like, it's nice to be able to, like, meet people, especially people, like, filmmakers who aren't in, like, big hubs of uh, filmmaking, you know, even if it's, like, whack or whatever, you know, it's nice to be able to, like, meet people and that are doing this if you're not in, like, New York or L.A. area where you're just, like, dealing with that all the time. But I was, like, kind of um, surprised that it's, like, it's such a a party it's like all about the parties and like the films come second for a lot of uh yeah. oh, festivals yeah. um but yeah i d- i do remember like traveling with uh short you know it's a short it's not a feature and um getting these weird excuses from people who are like not going to come because they wanted to like party or something yeah i mean i i, I don't i don't know what it is i mean i think a, a lot of these like, bigger festivals, they've always had, um, like, galas and glamorous parties, and I, I think a lot of the smaller festivals want to be, they want to be like that. Like, they want uh, they want to be, like, you know, part of the cool group. They want to be popular and have people, like, want to come to their festival and get money from sponsors and stuff. And I, I think for them, a way of doing that is to mimic what some of these bigger festivals do. So a lot of the local ones now just, you know, encourage that kind of that kind of style and there's really look there's nothing wrong with it if you want to have you know like an open bar after all the screenings are over fine but i've been to festivals where you know like the bar opens up at like 2 p.m and people are just in the lounge drinking from 2 p.m until 8 when the bar closes and then there's like another party after that like elsewhere so you're just like you're just like drinking all day you know if if you want to keep it fair to the point where like people are going to see your films don't don't encourage any of that until after all the screenings are over. Even like they'll have like midnight screenings or like a 10 p.m. screening, but there's like a party that starts at 10. Everyone's going to the party. No one's going to the screening, and that's fucked up. If like if my film was uh, screening at the same time as a party, I would be livid because I know I'm going to lose like half a dozen people because they got to go and you know get hammered because we're still in, we're still in college apparently. You know, like we're filmmakers. Let's go and support one another. This is like, like you need you need that support group. Like filmmaking is very hard, and if you if you don't have that, like it's really hard to move forward and to push yourself. If like if I didn't have you and like some of the other people I've met over time, I would probably like you know, be in finance or something. I, I wouldn't be making films. Yeah, it is weird too because like when you do that. When you, like, program a film at the same time as a party, you have the person who, like, 
might want to see like a film or it's like, oh, you know, this sounds interesting, but it's more pulled to the party because they're like, all right, look, I'm here to meet people. I'm not going to meet people watching a movie. I'm going to like have to go to this party, right. which is like a shitty thing that they have to deal with. But um, on the flip side, uh, I think we've been to festivals and I know I have been like without you to festivals that didn't really have any kind of like thing like that. And it was like really isolating and being like, Oh, we're not meeting anybody here. There's no like, there's no get togethers. There's no hub. And it's just like, it, it, it almost feels pointless at, at that point to even attend the festival. Yeah. Um, but there's just, there just needs to be a balance, you know, like, yeah, we've, I can't think of one festival we went to quite recently where there's none of that. And, you know, maybe it would have been better for us to just stay home and Skype in or something. Yeah. You know, like a good festival should encourage networking and get-togethers, but also not, um, you know, uh, prohibit you from seeing films. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's, 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 it's a tough thing. I would never want to run a festival or, uh, you know, deal with that kind of nonsense because it's, it's, you got to keep a lot of different people happy. And it's the same reason why they program certain films at certain festivals because they want to fill the seats. And I've had programmers tell me this, you know, to my face, like, yeah, like, you know, your film is great, but at the end of the day, we got to fill up these seats. We got to sell tickets. And, you know, that's, that's, that's unfortunate, but uh, it's a business. I get it. So, you know. To briefly mention that we have jobs. We do. We are uh, not independent. We have jobs. We're not independently wealthy. Um, and I'll just say that we both work in TV, more or less, and you edit. Um, does Has this affected your work at all? Like, do you have to push against it when you're editing, like, outside of that? Or, um, or are there, like, skills that you've learned from TV editing that you can apply in some way? I don't think um, there's any particular skill that I can think of that I use now to like make films because TV editing is so much different than um, the kind of editing I'm doing now for my own films. And like I, when I say TV editing, I'm not I'm not doing. Uh, like narratives, I, I work in journalism, so I'm working with like news clips, um, like sound bites and B-roll, and occasionally cutting packages or uh, opens, which are just like montages of sound bites put together, just like you know bashing one Republican or the other. Really, really uh, awful, mundane, mind-numbing kind of work. Um, I, I do think, however, there are certain advantages. Um, to doing it like one uh, for instance I was working with um, when I was writing Driftwood there was a lot going on at that particular time in the news when it came to um, these conservative like like hard right wing young guys that were essentially trying to control like women's right to abortion and to birth control and I think that unconsciously affected the way I was writing Driftwood and I started thinking a lot about um, you know this uh these, like, traditional conservative guys versus, like, you know, um, modernity in some ways. You know, so, like, in in that sense, like, it's it's kind of, like, helped me. But as far as, like, skills go, 
not really. You know, I, I think it. I think in some ways it has made me a little more of a perfectionist or a little more neurotic because when I'm at work, uh, I tend to fine tune the edits to a point um, where I, I think that has kind of influenced the way I edit. Or I mean, usually I have uh, uh, our, our friend Alex edit the films for me, but I I now am very picky about what shots to use and like. At to what point do you like make a cut? You know, it's it's got to be like a very like clean cut now, and I think that has something to do with like the way I've just been trained to edit for TV. So it's nothing that I could think of like off the top of my head. I think a lot of a lot of it um, just affects me unconsciously in ways that like I I don't really think about. <clears throat> yeah, but that's really interesting. The fact that you're taking this in and it's like affecting your writing in in a good way. Um, and I think it goes to show, like, I don't know how often you watch movies still, but there's a kind of, like, uh, a pressure to be a cinephile. And um, it it shows you that it's, like, it's pretty worthwhile to not kind of stress and compete with stuff like that and, like, take in a bunch of different things and, and you never know, like, how it's going to shape uh, your movies to come. It's like almost better than like just sitting around and watching movies all day, every day. Um, you know, go experience life, you know, all these different things. No, exactly. And that's like, you, you can see which filmmakers do that. Like you can tell when you watch a movie, you can tell like, yeah, this guy <clears throat> or girl is just, uh, probably sitting at home watching movies all the time because everything within the film that they're making seems like a ripoff of some kind. Whereas, <clears throat> if you go out and you experience life and you do all kinds of different things, that affects your writing and your filmmaking um, in a way that makes it stand out. And, you know, I've, I still feel a lot of pressure to, like, watch all kinds of movies. I mean, like, you watch all kinds of stuff. And, like, I wish I could keep up with you and some of our other friends that are watching all these things. But between, like, having a job and taking care of my cats and doing all kinds of stuff that comes, like, you know, uh, with life, it's, like, almost impossible. But I also want, like, there's just, like, too much to learn and too much to do. Like, I just started painting recently, and, like, I really love that, and it's, like, a different form of expression, and I know that's going to somehow affect the way, like, I make my films, too. So it's it's important to, to do uh, a little bit of everything or to have other interests. I guess I would say, like, it sounds like we're talking obvious stuff, but maybe we're not. Um, I guess I'm, I'm more so like, uh, it's good not to, it's obviously good. I think you should watch movies and see what other people do, even just to learn what you shouldn't do or like what you would want to do, like to, to push yourself. But it's also like, you can pull from, from other things. And I think it's probably dangerous for people to just be like in it so much where they're watching movies, making movies, watching movies, making movies, um, that's like all they do and it's like a cycle um i think that's pretty dangerous and not good and just boring like those people are boring they have nothing else to talk about you know and i mean i listen i don't want to sound like an asshole but it's you know i i, I don't want to hear about films all day yeah. there's like many other things to talk about i don't care that you've like seen uh like some obscure french movie that's eight hours long like several times and good for you that's great you know, but what else do you have to offer? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. 
That's it. Man, we're so much better than everybody else. <laughs> we're so much better. <laughs> we're not. We're not bitter at all. Sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Mar- no, I'm kidding. Marla was saying that when she watches us talk, it's like sometimes you take the more optimistic character and then sometimes I do, and it's just like completely random. Yeah, but that's because when your filmmaker's in a position that we're in, where you're struggling to make a film, uh, and you're also like, you know, humble and uh, sensitive and open-minded, every day is different. Like, most days, I'm generally feeling pretty good, but then I'm having days where everything feels fucking awful and like you're just totally pessimistic you know it's like every day is a challenge when you when you don't have to worry about like financial resources and getting your next film off the ground because you have some kind of a following um you just don't you you don't worry in the same way you know what i mean uh so I, i try to remain optimistic but you know it's hard it's really hard, especially when you... I mean, that's why I, I kind of have distanced myself from social media and reading about film news because I cannot bear to see the same articles written about the same filmmakers who are making film after film year after year. Um, it becomes debilitating uh, and very unhealthy because it it almost... Dis- like, it, you, you should be able to channel that and use it to your advantage, but I can't because... Uh, um, you know, insecure and neurotic, so, like, I automatically think negatively. Yeah. So, like, for me, I have to just forget that that exists so that way I can concentrate on what I'm doing or what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, you log off. That's good. That's, like, definitely a good thing. It's too chaotic, you know? Like, yeah, in theory, you would be able to channel that, but it's, like, it's seriously, like, every day, and it's multiple times a day because there's, like, because of the way social media works, it would be, like, you'd be getting attacked, like, multiple times a day and it'd be like you can't do that i think you have the better idea of just being like eh, i'll just use it when i need it yeah yeah i mean it's it's good and it's bad i mean it's bad because it makes me feel like i'm pathetic and weak and i can't you know handle it'll be online like some like like it just sounds like, like a white boy problem you know um and it, it also it, it prevents me from knowing what's what's out there, like what's new, and I think you also need to be current at the same time. So it's tough. You you just gotta find like a balance that works for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I was on it less, but it's kind of like I don't know. One day, one day soon, um, hopefully. But try it. Try <laughs> it. Log off, man. No, I do it on the weekend. The weekend's awesome. Oh yeah, those great. Here's a couple days. Um, so did we? Is there anything that you wanted to talk about? Because I'm going to wrap up, but like that. No, we I, didn't... I got nothing to say. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't. I don't. Who am I? I got nothing to say. PT, man, you Paul Tay, man. Yeah. Um. So. Two two questions, whatever. Um. Do you have two advice? Questions, one cup. A. Hey. Right. <laughs> Do you have yeah. um? What would you like say? Like somebody wants to, let's say, make a feature. You know, what what is your advice? What are you going to be telling the students you're going to teach, like advice wise? If you can like have like a little succinct uh, thing to say. Get rich parents. That's it. There's there's no other good advice. 
Uh, I mean, listen, you just got to... You have to simplify things and work within your budget. Don't write a movie like Inception uh, and try to fund it and make it yourself or you'll be waiting 40 years to make your movie and maybe not make it at all. So if you can write something within your budget, um, keep it very simple, minimal locations, minimal cast, then you can do it. But I would not recommend writing a, a, a big a big film. And I think a lot of people are in, more inclined to do that because they think that's what filmmaking is. Um, so, yeah. That or just find, you know, find a rich uncle that wants to give you some money. Because that's what it comes down to now. There's no... There's no, like, real producing unless you have, like, some good contacts. I've, I've spoken with producers who have told me, like, if you want to get money, talk to your dentist, talk to a doctor, uh, talk to somebody who has money and would want to see their name on, on the screen. So you're just, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of shit out of luck, which is why you just have to work within your means. And you have, you have the gear. It's very easy to go make a movie now. It's not about, like, what tools you have. It's, it's how you use um, them. Combining what we were talking about with this question, um, <clears throat> favorite favorite tweets. Um, you had your... Uh, you really liked that one by uh, Annalise did it with... Um, it was about oh, yeah. rich kids. Excellent, excellent tweet. Yeah, shout out to Annalise. Uh, it was rich, ki- rich people used to fund the arts... But now they're just making... They used to fund movies, but now they're just making their own movies. That's why it's so whack right now. I, I mean, it's it's totally true. Obviously, I have no empirical evidence to support that. Um, but when I watch certain movies by certain filmmakers, uh, you can kind of tell that they really don't have anything to say, that they've never really struggled in a way um, where it comes through on the screen. You know, it it just looks like they're bored or they want a hobby or all of a sudden like filmmaking is cool and they don't wanna they don't wanna be the executive producer, they wanna be the director, they wanna be in the spotlight. Yeah. Um and if if Annalise has empirical evidence I would I would love to see it, but I don't think it's necessary. I I think uh you can kinda just tell. Yeah, we believe her. It sounds yeah. it sounds really good. Um yeah. in the same in the same kind, shout out to uh Steve McFarlane for one of my Alzheimer's, um, it's like written in a headline. It's, uh, rich parents, the future of indie film. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Another all timer, uh, sad, yeah. but true, you know, label this section of the show of the show, sad, but true or true, but sad. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, man. It's, it's really unfortunate. Um, I don't know why it's come down to that. I guess it's just, there's not as much I, I, maybe there's just like too many filmmakers now that it has become more democratized that like there's just not enough money to go around so if you want to get your movie made then you need to have some kind of personal wealth uh, and those are the only people that can afford to keep making movies so they do and they get it from their, their parents yeah I, I don't want to say fuck them I'm sure uh, <laughs> you know they're not bad people I, I imagine some of them are um, they, you know, they're they're fortunate. They grew up rich. <laughs> we uh, we were not so fortunate. But I, I think I, I like myself. Um, I like who I am because I I've struggled a little bit, and I know what it's what it's like to see things from both sides. Yeah. 
and I think that influences my work. So it's, uh, it's, it's important to struggle. Um, all right. So last question, what's next for you? What are you working on? What's coming up? I don't know, man. I'm, uh, I shot a short working on that. It's going to take a, it's going to take some time to figure out that edit and, and clean everything up. Um, I shot that out in Los Angeles. It was my first time shooting out there. Uh, first time I had a DP that wasn't myself. So it, for me, it was just um, an experiment to try something different. And, uh, yeah, I think at the very least it'll wind up being an interesting little short. Um, but, you know, I, it's, it's again, it's just a learning process. I'm just trying to push myself and, and try different things. So doing that, I'm trying to get a couple different features off the ground. Whatever uh, seems financially feasible will be the one I do next. Um, but it's tough. I have a lot of ideas, and there's just not enough time or money to do all of them. And, it's, you know, it's kind of scary to think about because I'll be 30 next month, <clears throat> and I've made one feature. And it, at this rate, if it took me that long to do one feature, you know, what am I, am I going to do, like, two or three more features, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to croak? You know, it's, it's scary to think that there are people out there that have the means to make a feature a year, and every feature that they do is the same. Uh, and then we have to, you know, struggle to come up with money to do one feature, like, every 10 years. And, you know, whatever, I, I, I can't complain. At least I'm, uh, I'm, I'm making it. It just, I wish I could, I could make them more often, you know? You spend a lot of time just, like, brooding over the fact that you can't. You spend more time brooding than you do, like, actual productive filmmaking, or, you know? I'm sure we'll find that balance at some point. But uh wish it was sooner yeah. than it is. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I've known you a long time. Yeah. Are you gonna Are you gonna say something about the screening? Uh. Or is that after? Yeah. No. Um. So uh, we are playing Driftwood at the Spectacle Theater as part of our little. Screening series that happens uh, bi-monthly. It is playing on November 10th at 7.30 p.m. again at Spectacle Theater. There's going to be a link in the accompanying article. But um, if you aren't reading that, if you're listening to this and you refuse to read anything okay, um, you can check it out on uh, spectacletheater.com. All right, man. Thanks again for coming on. Yep. All right. See ya. Bye. IndieBeat and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming, a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start your special 30-day free trial. Regular people would only get seven-day free trial, so this is the real deal, people. You could do $5.99 a month or $47.99 for a full year. Mubi is available via web or on any of your other favorite devices, such as Apple TV, Samsung Smart TVs, Roku, PlayStation. So pause your game of Bonk's Adventure and watch some films, sonnies. Mubi is a global platform, but programming is customized per country. Some highlights Mubi is now showing in the U.S. of A. Mubi has joined forces with Nicholas Winding Refn's upcoming streaming platform, by NWR. So, Mubi has some of his newly restored films, not 
ones that he directed by himself, but they are handpicked by himself. And they have The Nest of the Cuckoo Birds and Hot Thrills and Warm Chills. There's also A German Youth from 2015. This is part of movie's special discovery series. Um, it's a found footage documentary following the rise of the Red Army faction. Also new to the platform is The Five Obstructions by Lars von Trier. He challenges a hero of his, the Danish director Jorgen Leth, to remake his own movie under weird guidelines that Montreux himself have, has set. There's also 1953's L'Amour in Cita, I believe. C-I-T-T-A. Sorry. It is an anthology film made by seven different Italian directors, which includes Antonioni, Fellini, and Risi. And they crisscross with social issues in a bold modernist style. Cool. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Again, um, just spoke with Paul Taylor. He directed Driftwood, Juan Slam Dance Film Festival. It is going to be released shortly, so if you can't make it to the Brooklyn screening, please stay updated by going to driftwoodthefilm.com. You'll be able to purchase it and watch it. Watch it. I was going to cut that out, but I'm definitely leaving it in. Yeah, so thanks again for listening. We're on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is Indie Beat. That's the name of the show. And do check out all the other great shows on the Playlist Podcast Network. And hey, give us a nice review. Send us some nice comments. Send us some love. And tell all your friends. Like that movie. But uh, do better than that movie did. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.